0: Well, this week was an interesting week because um one of our kids had a birthday, and um, what that means is now I am the um, dad of a fifteen year old, and um, we just now we're just now starting the process of uh, Working through what that all means, you know, to uh, much to her chagrin, I'm sure. You know, we're a little bit behind on figuring out the whole driver's ed thing and insurance thing, that whole driving thing. I mean, that boy can't believe we're already there. You know, um, I was th- it made me think back to my driver's ed experience. I remember uh, walking in to the classroom and sitting down. And looking up on the chalkboard and the driver, I mean the driver, the, uh, the instructor had written on the chalkboard this tombstone. And It was decorated with little flowers and stuff. and Rest in peace. On it. And, um, and he, said, uh, he said to us, he said, uh, class, this is his first words. He goes, class, I just want you to know, if you fail this class, you could fail life. And pointed at the board like that. And I didn't know whether to laugh or like run out. Like, ah! The ability to drive, freedom. What does one do with such incredible freedom? I want you to imagine with me for just a minute, and some of you, um it maybe may take a little bit more imagination, I understand. Imagine that you're 15 again. You're 15, and you're, you're walking into that driving experience for the first time. I see really three options. I see three ways to approach it. Um, you know, For one, or at least, there are a lot of different ways, but I'm just going to give you three. One way to approach it would be maybe just to memorize all the rules of driving. And to uh, really study and and dive into all the grim statistics. You remember those videos that they would show in the class, right? And all the the awful things that can happen if you don't make wise choices. Maybe concentrate on what would happen to you if you do the wrong thing. Maybe even just etch that, that vision of that tombstone into your head. Maybe maybe decide you know what I am never going to leave the four walls of my home unless I absolutely have to as a matter of fact uh, I I can do most things online right I mean we can even buy groceries online now for the most part and you know there's even a teledoc now in case you get sick you just call them up and they can they can help you out and depending on your insurance plan and how sick you really are you know or we can watch all the movies that we want to. Matter of fact, you could even decide I'm going I'm to study for an occupation that would work well with me being able just to stay at home. And 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 really, I could just add some additional rules to my life. Maybe maybe I could just decide, you know what? Even if I ever had, do have to get out, I will stay within like a five mile radius of my life of my of my house, and uh, and and I won't ever drive during any type of rush hour moment. And and even if for some reason uh, th- there's an opportunity for me to deviate from the pattern from the drive that goes from one place to the next that I take, I will not deviate ever. Matter of fact, I will make sure there's no distractions in the car ever, no people, nothing, n- nothing physical that I can ever pick up at all. Some of you parents are like, I'm liking this. I'm just going to stay, stay focused. a matter of fact, even if I, my parents have given me the blessing to go across town to hang out at this opportunity, I, I, will, not, I, will, I will definitely choose not to do it. I mean, I've got the freedom to, but I will not do it. That's, that's, that's one way to approach driving. There's another way. You could choose that, that, to, that this newfound freedom was, was just an opportunity to throw caution to the wind. I'm just going to go for it. I don't really care. I mean, you know, I've seen how people drive around here. I've been watching my parents drive, and here's what I know. I know that pretty much you can routinely drive about 10 miles over the speed limit. It doesn't really matter, wherever you are. And, and, and really, you know, speed limits aren't really that big of a deal anyway. I mean, especially not stop signs, except maybe in double Oak. And, you know, I, really, I mean, definitely, I can I can use my cell phone even in school zones. I mean, that's why they have the speaker function, right? I can just lay it on the seat. And seat belts are really not necessary, especially if I'm trying to keep wrinkles out of my shirt. I mean, I, I really don't understand why it's such a big deal. The truth is I want to go where I want to go. I want to do what I want to do. I want to stay there as long as I want to stay there, regardless of the consequences, regardless of how anybody might be impacted or inconvenienced because I have the keys and I have control and I know what's best and I know my limits and you know what I can even if I were to choose to when I am of legal age drink and drink however much I want because really the law is not something that applies to me I know when it's not the right time for me to drink and drive as a matter of fact I know that there's an actual manual for my car but the reality is The fact that it tells me to do certain maintenance, that's just a scam. That's not really that necessary. As a matter of fact, even the gas gauge itself, I will fill up when I want to fill up, not whenever it's telling me to. That's another option. Some of you are like, I've met people like that. (laughs) Or you could say, you know what, I'm going to follow the laws in place. I'm going to keep the speed limit. I'm going to stay buckled. I could follow, I'm going, to, I'm going to choose to follow the recommended maintenance for my vehicle. I'm even going to gain my parents' trust by being where I said I would do and doing what I said I would do when I was there and coming home whenever I told them that I would come home. And I would do that over and over and over again so that over time I would gain even more freedom and more opportunities to see and experience and do amazing things with that freedom. Three different ways that you could approach it if you were to be 15 again. In the fifth chapter of Galatians, Paul addresses these three options. I know you didn't realize there were cars back then. But it's to these new card-carrying Galatian drivers of this thing called the spirit-led life. And he speaks to them in these different categories, you see. Some of them had turned their license to drive into this legalistic lifestyle that completely stole the joy from them that Christ had intended them to experience and instead replaced it with a life filled with fear fear of what might happen to them, fear of what other people might think about them, fear of what God might do to them if for some reason they dinged up this new faith mobile that they're driving. This chapter begins with a continuation uh, of Paul's commentary regarding their legalism. It says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul is just recapping. If you've been hanging with us for the first four chapters, he's just recapping where we've been, right? He's recapping that, hey, here's the truth. Jesus is the one who makes you free. If we go back a little bit, we were, we are were reminded in Galatians one six, he went so far as to say, "Listen, here's what you've done, Galatians. You have followed false teaching to the point that you are completely, you are following a completely different gospel." In chapter two, remember he he says to them, "Listen, here's what's happened to you. You've been and he uses the word. Remember, we studied this, bewitched." You've been tricked into believing something contrary to the truth. The truth is that the church at Galatia was being taught that in order for a person to be a Christian, yeah, they would place their faith in Christ, but then they would also need to submit to and observe the rituals and regulations of religion like circumcision and the Levitical law, and the list went on and on and on and on. There's a Baylor professor named Dr. Robert Roberts, who wrote a description of this way of living, and I'll spare you the lengthy description and just give you these two little sentences. He said, He wrote, You don't have to, about legalism, he said, You don't have to think subtly or make hard choices. You don't have to relate personally to a demanding and loving Lord. You see, because all I have to do is just keep on. Doing the law thing. Just keep on doing the law thing. Just keep on doing the law thing. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.6, It's Jesus who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What Paul is telling the Galatians, even in this passage, is, Listen, same thing he's telling the Corinthians. Don't allow the letter of the law. Don't allow the letter to be what is killing you because the Spirit is what gives life. Galatians 2.20. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. I've been, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He says, listen, don't be bewitched. Actually, Christ alone, he is sufficient. If we drive our faith mobile in such a legalistic way, we never really experience the life God designed us to live It. We've been talking about this. We miss the joy, but unfortunately we don't miss the negative consequences. Even today, we can become focused in this way. And you think, oh, I don't think so, Randy. I mean, that, that, doesn't, really, that doesn't really... And I've been, trying to, I've been thinking about this the last several weeks. It's like, because I realize for a lot of us, we go, ah, legalism, that's not really where I am. That's not where I sit. But you know what? It sneaks into our lives in some really interesting ways. You know, it's, sometimes it's the values that we exalt, even in church world. Maybe it's the value that we've exalted of safety, To the extent that, you know what, as a parent or a grandparent, I would never in a million years let my kids make the choice for their life of going to a dangerous country and giving their life for the gospel. Because you know, what God wants us to, the higher value is safety. And we kind of add that rule that we're going to follow as a family. Or maybe it's this rule of normalcy. We know that's not Normal. Well, that's not routine. And we put that addendum in to the mix because you know God highly esteems that value. So this is what I will always do, and this is how I will always worship, and this is the service that I will always attend, and this is the amount of money and the time that I'm always willing to give. Because you see everybody else is really willing to give that. That's what everybody I know has chosen. And so that's what's normal, and that's what's appropriate. And that value that I've placed there is something that I have, as an addendum, added on to the way that I live my life in Christ. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with those things. That's the norm or the routine for me. Because if you mess with them, I'll leave this church Or better yet, I'll help you leave this church. I've told you before about some influential people that uh, were in this particular church I served in uh, once. I was I a was youth pastor of this, of this one church, and, and uh, we, we made some really crazy decisions, right? Uh, we being uh, me. And um, what, uh, what I chose to do was I chose to actually, as the students led worship several times on Sunday morning, uh, lead worship with uh, drums on stage. Step back. Kind of crazy, Right? And then in addition to that, and this was like the double whammy, we did a summer camp uh, that year. Actually, it was a spring break camp. And over that spring break, I kind of, at the very end of camp, to kind of celebrate the decisions that were made, shot off some fireworks. And spending that money from the budget on fireworks and putting those drums on stage got me in trouble with some power brokers in the church. So much so that they uh, they got the ear of some people on the missions team, and they all met together for about three hours to talk about how much they loved me um, and uh and decided that it would be a really wise thing to uh in their perspective uh, just withhold any mission funding for me for the coming year for anything that I wanted to do, which you know makes totally good sense, right? You know, Ron says sin makes you stupid. I will add, and this is not nearly as eloquent, I know, but I think legalism eats away your brain. License. So here, here's, here's another, here's another, uh, here's another uh, way to drive, right? Others in Galatia were driving this car of their newfound faith in a completely different way, and it was a way of license. Some of them assumed that having a license to drive meant having a license attitude about life. Matter of fact, when you look at the word in Scripture, if you ever see the word licentious or licentiousness in Scripture, this is, a, this is the type of person that's being described. It's a life of excess, of no boundaries. A rule is a suggestion, and an authority, what's well, an opinion? Freedom means free to do whatever I want, whenever I want to. After all, God forgives in the end, and I get heaven, right? So, what's the big deal? In this chapter, Paul gives the Galatian Christians who are in this category a proper perspective on their freedom in Christ. He writes in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In this, uh, this, this passage here, we discover this, this common theme that seems to be in Paul's letters. We also find it in Romans chapter 6 when he writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 15, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Paul's saying, listen, this this lifestyle choice isn't living in the grace of God. It's living an antinomian way of life. Say, antinomian? That's a new one. Antinomianism. It comes from two different Greek words, anti or against, and nomos or the law. It's against the law. And there have been different versions of antinomianism all throughout Christendom, right? There are people who have, quote-unquote, followed Christ and followed this as in, you know what? uh, Moral law does not apply to me. Or ceremonial law and moral. Or civil and ceremonial. Or civil, ceremonial, and moral. Or, you know, whatever. Just Lots of different ways in which manifestations of this. But the bottom line is, it's taking a biblical teaching to an unbiblical conclusion, Where does it start? It starts with the Old Testament law. It it can't save us. It isn't enough. Jesus does. But then it doesn't stop there. It concludes with, well, therefore, the law isn't something that we are bound to or should be constructed to in any facet whatsoever. Matter of fact, we should be absolutely, completely, totally free. Forget about the fact that moral and civil and even ceremonial laws all in the Old Testament pointed to what? To the heart of God. And to basic principles of how we should relate to God and relate to others. In spite of the fact that in the 21st century we don't have women in our church going once a month to sacrifice two turtle doves. In spite of that, you see, the whole Bible is pointing us to the heart of God. Even in these laws and in this version of Christianity, what ends up happening is feelings end up trumping everything. This lifestyle leads to a lack of discipline and also really excessive and overindulgence. What I want trumps what God wants. I know God says be holy for he is holy, but you know what? Here's the truth. What I believe the truth is, is that God sees me as holy in Christ, regardless of what I do, therefore it doesn't matter what I do. This way of thinking always ends in disaster. It, 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 does, it, it takes us all the way back to Judges 21-25, right? I mean, we go to the book of Judges and what do we see? It says, if every man does what is right in his own eyes, what's the result? The result at that time was anarchy. And it's true for us today as well. Oftentimes at the heart of this controversy, culturally, we hear people saying, but God surely, surely just wants me to be happy. I mean, that's, that's what he really wants. I mean, he loves me so much, he just wants me to be happy. And somewhere, we miss the holiness, and we miss the joy, and we actually somehow flip around in our mind joy And happiness, you know, happiness is so circumstantial. And yet for joy, we have been bought with a price. And what is joy? It's a deep, settled confidence that a loving Heavenly Father is in control of every portion of our life, no matter what the circumstances are. Doing what is right in my own eyes, that's just what? That is pride on full display. And as this chapter unfolds, Paul springboards into a look at where our pride, our selfishness takes us. And what we begin to see is whether it's legalism on one side or license on the other, both miss the mark. They're not what Christ purchased on Calvary. When we drive that way, we miss God's best. We miss his plans for us. We miss living under his provision and protection. Why? Because at the end of the day, if we drive on either one, you know what we discover? With legalism, we wind up with our car just parked in the garage all the time. And we miss God. And in license, we wind up in the ditch because we're out of gas or the engine's blown up or we're in a catastrophic wreck with our life. Grace, spirit, liberty. You could use a variety of different words here, but there is another way. The car of our life is supposed to be driven by grace. Have you ever seen the acrostic before for grace? You know, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. It's me having access to God because of the price that Christ paid on the cross. It's that I have access to everything that I need to live in this life. All the joy, all the peace, all the the love because his spirit lives in me and so as we begin to turn the corner and really close out this chapter we're getting close at least in chapter five we find Paul showing us that a liberated life is driven by the spirit while everything else does what it just feeds our flesh and then we wind up reaping the effects of our flesh And so there's this battle that rages, and he he starts to toss in. I believe it starts in verse 16. Yeah, from verse 16 all the way to 25, six different times. You know what Paul talks about? He talks about the Spirit. He says in verse 16, live by the Spirit. He says the Spirit is contrary to the sinful nature. Then he says in verse 18, led by the Spirit, not under the law. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25, we live by the Spirit. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. Interesting. So the real issue in the Christian life is whether we will live according to the old nature or the new that has been given us through Jesus' sacrifice. Paul writes that if we walk by the Spirit, if we let him guide or control us, then the Spirit will see to us that we do not gratify the desires of our old sinful nature. That's what it says right here in Galatians chapter 5.16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Yes, I am a new creation. Absolutely. When I have stepped from not only a a creation of God's, but a child of his, then you know what? I am a new creation, 2 Corinthians says. But there's still this battle that rages on. And Paul talks about it over and over and over again in his letters. As long as our sinful nature is in control and its desires are expressed in our actions, what happens? There's this destructive list of rotten fruit that begins to be displayed in our lives. matter of fact, there's a list of it right here. Galatians 5. We keep reading. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. What a list. It's funny, whenever the Disney cast on Descendants was dancing around at the beginning of the service, singing their rotten to the core. That's a beautiful song, right? But I bet none of us had those words in our thoughts as we were listening to them sing. Because you know what? Our, our world makes that look so very different, doesn't it? Until we start to read, read the description of that rotten fruit. But a life that's driven by God's Spirit, you know, it, it also produces fruit. Love, joy, peace, all those things that deep down inside we desperately want. This fruit stands in stark contrast to the fruit of the sinful nature. But it's only produced when we keep in step with the Spirit of God. How do we do that? We're going to jump in there in just a minute and find out as we conclude the service. But before we get there, let's look at this list. I love this list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. If you know the song, you can sing it now. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So, what's the plan? How do we do it? How do we stay in that list and not the other list? As I was finishing up studying this and thinking through, well, how do I. What's a, what's a good way for us to keep all of this together and understand how how do we do this how do we how do we not feed this and but we feed that? It, you know where God took me? He took me to John he took me to John chapter fifteen and and, and there are a lot of commentary, comment, commentators that actually do link Galatians five with john 5, John 15 because there's a lot of similarity here as it speaks about fruit matter of fact quite a few commentators that I read actually agree that yes in in fact the fruit that is mentioned here it does make sense to equate it as fruit of the spirit others look at it as broader and I get that too let's see what Jesus says i think in john 15 one of the things that Jesus says a great plan for us is to stay on the road to stay on the road. You see, that one plan, pretty much our car stays <laughs> stays in the garage. The other plan, we just end up in the ditch. But, it, but, but in Christ's plan for us, as we drive this faith life, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. As a father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. I don't think there's a mistake there. That Jesus, as he's talking about the fruit, he emphasizes what? He emphasizes joy. He says, listen, here's what you do. You allow God's spirit to draw you in. And so we talk to God and we look at his letter. And as we look and investigate his thoughts, we are drawn into it by his spirit in such a way that we discover. It is enlightened to us that we know how we are to live and the choices that we are to make and the ways that we are to be. And the Spirit who lives in us connects with the life-giving words that are this living, breathing document, this love letter from our Heavenly Father. And you know what? As those two connect, you know what happens? Here's what happens. We start loving what God loves and hating what he hates. And no, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about us knowing him and becoming like him. Having His Spirit open our eyes to see all that we might know about Him and how to be more like Him as we live on this earth. That's remaining in Him, that's walking in the Spirit. Stay on the road even when the road is rough John 15:2 every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit huh so what you're saying Randy is there's going to be times when the road is rough even though I'm walking this grace Path, even though I am applying all that God has to say to me, even though I am being illuminated by the Word of God through the Spirit who is in me, bringing all of that to understanding, as I take that and begin to make those steps one at a time with my life, what you're telling me, Randy, is that it's still going to be a rough road at times. Yes, it will. Because in the midst of it all, there's going to be moments where we go, wow. That's a real inconvenience if I take that step. But nobody else is gonna take that step. But you know what? It seems counterintuitive to take that step. But you know what? Everything inside of me, matter of fact, the sinful part of me wants to just minimize the risk. So why in the world would I take that? Why would I take that step? To be truthful on my taxes. To have that hard conversation with my kids. To go the extra mile. And actually care about what my kids are watching. Or listening to. Or where they go. That That I would actually take that extra step. To put. The software on my phone or the guard around my house and my internet to be protective, that I would do that. You know what? That takes a lot of extra effort, and nobody else is really doing that, and it becomes difficult. And my kids are always asking me, Can you get me this? Can you get me that? It's easier just to let it all be open, you see. And yet, what God calls us to is to guard their hearts and to move our family toward holiness. And to move in the direction that our lives and our kids' lives and our grandkids' lives look more and more like Jesus. But you know what? That's counter to the rest of the world. And it's rough. And other people around us, they, they don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. Because why in the world would you not let your eight year old watch that movie? Everybody is. Yeah, the, the road gets rough. But then also along that road, here's what we do. As we start to see God's spirit in us active, what happens is we become always ready to break for those in need. John 15, 12. What's Jesus saying here? This is my command. He's still talking about fruit. This is still the context of fruit. This is before Paul ever wrote about it. But Jesus was talking about fruit. He understood what was going to be produced in our lives as our lives came into contact with the Spirit of God on a regular basis through the action and the illumination of his word. Says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Does that take you back maybe to the earlier part of this chapter where Paul tells the Galatians, listen, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to serve one another. I want you to look out for those in need along the way. That completely... Rejects my tendency, my tendency towards selfishness. Anybody watch uh, Kobe Bryant's last game this week? It, sure, at least you probably heard about it. Sixty points! He scored sixty points. Okay, first of all, he's not that good anymore. He's not. If he were that good, then then you know what? Their team would resemble more like you know. Golden State. Really? A superstar with a bunch of average players. Now I'm going to get in trouble. No. But the reality is, what happened? His players kept feeding him the ball. And you know what? There's an awful lot of overinflated egos on that court. But you know what they kept on doing? Feeding him the ball. If Kobe Bryant were that, were that good, the Lakers would not have won only 20 games all year. But you know what? He scored 60 points. I think at times I actually saw Utah Jazz players feeding him the ball. This is the craziest thing. I mean, just one after another, boom, 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 selflessly. And you are going, well, how are you going to equate that to somebody in need? I mean, he didn't need to score 60 points. No, that's not not the point. Here's the point. You know what they were doing? They were selflessly doing what was counterintuitive to them. Because you know what, every one of those players, even Kobe laughed about it at the end. He said, you know why I had such a big smile on my face? Because that's not the norm. I was always trying to get the ball from these guys. They would never give me the ball to shoot. It was counterintuitive for them. It was against everything within them. No, I've got the great shot. Okay, pass it to the old guy. I'm right. There were times they were in for the layup. It was so easy. It was right there. Pass it back out to Kobe. It's so counterintuitive. You know what? Because what we want to do is we just want to go through life and think about how I can make the layup, how it's easy for me, how I can do this, how I can get all the glory, how all of the fans go crazy for the wonderful shot that I make. And you know what they kept doing? They kept casting their eyes at somebody else. In that moment, in a crazy kind of way, they really were laying down their life for a friend. When I stay on the road, even when it's rough, and when I break for those in need, you know what Jesus does? He says, listen, I'm going to bear fruit in your life. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. When God's spirit drives the car, I'm driven into what? Into God's plans for me. His designs for how I look and what, how I live and how I act. And so here's the question as we close out tonight. It's real simple. Where's your car? Do you even have a car of faith? Maybe, maybe you, you're still sitting there at creation of God's, but you haven't moved into child of his. And what he says is, I would love for you to take that step of faith into the relationship that you were born to have. If that's you and you want to talk to me about that, I would love to visit with you about how to start that relationship and drive that car of faith all the way into the loving arms of Jesus Christ for all eternity. But you know what? Maybe you're already in the car. You've got it. But your car has just been parked in the garage because of legalism. And what God has challenged you to do is, listen, risk. Trust me. Take some steps. Let Christ be enough. Maybe it's going to involve more time than you thought. Maybe it's going to involve more money than you thought. Maybe it's going—I don't know what it's going to involve. But you know what? Trust me. Maybe for some of us in here, we just—we we landed in the ditch. We look at our family, or we look at our own life, and we see all of the struggles that we're having right now, and we're like, ah, yeah, you know what? I've been living in the freedom <laughs> and miss the holiness of God. And it's no wonder that I'm on the side while others are just zooming forward in God's plans for them. Would you bow with me? God, help us to discover where we are. To know how we are to live. To take time to dream the dreams that you have for us. And maybe, just maybe, stop being so concerned about Everybody else, and most importantly, concerned about you. So, God, as we worship you, and as you grab our heart in these moments, we're listening, we're communing with you, and the elements down front or in the back. God we're giving to you God we're doing a lot of things in these moments but God may all that we do whatever we do be pleasing to you as we close out these time this time together in Jesus name